Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome back to This Ends at Prom. We are starting spooky season, and we are starting it off in quite possibly the best way we could. I am one of your co-hosts, BJ Colangelo, and here with me is my spooktacular, I'm not even going to try to make any more stupid pun adjectives, but we're here with my wife. Are you really making a Borat reference in 2020? Yeah, I'm that person. There's a sequel coming out. We're allowed. Yeah, okay. Well, it won't say my wife in the sequel, thank God, but I am your wife. I am the other Colangelo, Harmony Colangelo. And with us today is a a dear friend of mine, an absolute icon in her own right, writer, independent producer, and the foremost expert on all things Jennifer's body. We have Jordan Crucioli here. Hello, everybody, and welcome, welcome not to my nightmare, but to my daydream as we are about to discuss Jennifer's body. Thank you for being here and for talking with us because the amount of knowledge you have about Jennifer's body is completely unmatched, probably with anyone on the planet, and that's including the people who made it. I mean, I I am uh, now. If you if you know me at all on social media, you know that I am doing a seminar about Jennifer's body. Uh, for the Coolidge Theater coming up soon. There'll be a virtual seminar. And I did uh, pester Karin Kusama via her very kind husband and creative partner, Phil, uh, and asked her to provide, like, a pull quote, not being like, hey, go spend money on this thing for Jordan, but just attesting to my depth and breadth of knowledge about Jennifer's body. And she she did provide that. And so I, I would like to think that my authority has the cosign of Karin Kusama, as she did say, quote, I had an amazing conversation with Jordan about Jennifer's body, and there's no one better to get into it. I mean, way into it with. <laughs> so it's it's really on the record at this point. Yeah, this isn't just a claim. There are sources. We have cited yeah. sources. <laughs> there are sources. You're exactly right. We have primary sources. I first want to throw this over to Harmony. Tell me, what was your exposure to Jennifer's body before I showed it to you? What did you know about it? Anything that you can recall from its original release? I remember almost nothing from this movie coming out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I um, I was tangentially aware of Megan Fox because on a, uh, on a school bus trip down to Florida... We got stuck watching Transformers, <laughs> and um, 
boy, that movie treats her a whole lot different than this movie, but <laughs> we'll get into that, I suppose, in a bit. But uh, the whole time I sat there watching that movie, I kept saying, everyone in this movie sucks. Why aren't there more Transformers in this Transformers movie? <laughs> and uh, yeah, then when this came out, all I know is everyone said, oh, this is going to be like some, Megan Fox is going to be such a slut, and like, oh, I don't want to see this, it looks dumb. And uh, I was pretty neutral on it, but I was told basically, hey, I'm not supposed to like this, so I guess I'm not going to go see it then. Right, the, the teen effect on that one. Yeah, it also didn't help that this came out the year after I graduated high school, and I had came out as trans, like, the previous year, so I did not have a lot of people I was hanging out with, and if I had uh, really put much thought into it at the time, I would have been, (laughs) like, thinking, wow, I... I must feel like a pervert or seem like a pervert to people if I'm going to see this movie by myself. (laughs) (laughs) It's good in groups. It's good in groups. Oh, 100%. That's the best way to view this movie. I know that my introduction to Jennifer's Body... So Jennifer's Body came out the same year that I started horror blogging for the first time. So I was 18 and I was just filled with you know, college film theory 101 knowledge and, you know, women's lit knowledge 101. Right, yeah. And I was, you know, 18, 19 years old. So I'm at that age where everything in society was telling me that I should not like Megan Fox, that she was the enemy, that she was, you know, uh, she's what's wrong with feminism, just a bunch of bullshit that I can now say in hindsight is bullshit. And I remember distinctly hoping I was going to hate this movie and really wanting to. And the the review that I wrote Joke's for it is Joke's on you, gone. BJ. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the review I wrote is long gone, but I know that it started with me saying, well, I didn't hate it. Spoiler alert. <laughs> like the like shittiest 19-year-old. <laughs> like a proper asshole online blogger. Exactly. Yeah. Just oozing 2009 normalized girl hate. Yeah, totally. So that was my introduction, and obviously my thoughts on the film have greatly changed over the years. (laughs) Um, Because I'm not a 19-year-old asshole anymore. (laughs) I'm a 30-year-old asshole. (laughs) (laughs) So Jordan, how about you? What are your early Jennifer's body memories? Um, I, the funny thing about, and I will, I I love talking about this, because the funny thing about seeing this movie was that I didn't realize people didn't like this movie till probably five years ago. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, really? No. Like, I, I, horror has always has always been my favorite stuff, but I didn't really have any friends who, who cared for it as much as I did, who, who wanted to sit down and talk about it. And so, I'm very similar like that. Yeah, and, and like, I just love movies, and I just, like, I just like most everything in its own way, and then I love the stuff that I really love. So I didn't realize until probably I started getting to be very online that mm-hmm. people had opinions about Jennifer's body that were so shitty. I didn't realize that. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you all? Like, <laughs> uh-huh. So I had had like probably around six unassailed years of knowing that like it wasn't the biggest hit, but I just figured like, oh, horror's kind of niche. Like I get why everybody didn't see it. And I totally understood why none of my friends even would would have been interested in this movie then or now. It's just not their, like, none of my friends who I, I particularly was around at that time, it's just not mm-hmm. their jam. It's not a movie they're going to go see in theater. They're not going to go see a Succubus movie. They're not going to go see, like, a Riot Girl vampire movie. That's just, so the idea that people I know weren't seeing it, and that would have made me, like, 26 or so at the, no, uh, when it came out, it was, what, that's 11 years ago now, so I would have been 
20 shit how four 24 at the mm-hmm. time yes because I'm 35 um I would have been 24 at the time so it just like completely was logical to me that nobody else was talking about it besides uh one of my very best friends the writer Angela Watercutter who works at Wired and we were super super hyped about it and me and another friend uh, I was living in the Bay Area at the time San Francisco Bay Area uh Jesse we both loved Megan Fox like whole hog on in on Megan Fox <laughs> Loved Transformers, love Michaela Baines. Michaela Baines and Sam Witwicky are one of the quietly great one true pairings of our time. I I will say over and over again anytime I get the chance that despite the obvious uh, problematic nature of how My- Michael Bay handled Megan Fox both in that and Bad Boys 2, what Megan Fox brought to the role of Michaela Baines despite what was on the page and despite the way she was featured aesthetically in that movie there is so much swagger and pop and attitude and fucking charisma that comes off that character Michaela Baines is actually low-key pretty rad action heroine thanks entirely to Megan Fox so I was Uh just like stoked to see my cool girl Megan Fox in this movie Jennifer's Body that was scary and bloody and I was like shit yeah I watch uh Big Love Amanda Seyfried's cool and I liked Juno enough so I was cool on Diablo Cody it was like Karin Kusama seems like a neat lady I was all in I don't even remember the trailer necessarily I just remember the posters which were Mm -hmm. also bad but they just had Megan Fox in them so I was happy I was like oh I'm gonna go see the Megan Fox thing we had on our fridge when I lived with the aforementioned Angela we had on our fridge a fold-out insert poster of Jennifer's body from like a Rolling Stone magazine that we just magneted to the side of the fridge (laughs) see and I wish I would have known you around this time because had I seen that poster in a house of women, exactly. I think I would have been so much more into it, but yeah. I didn't. I saw it on dorm room walls totally. of shitty dudes. Yep, yeah. yep. I was also, I, I, I was and remain obviously a staunch sort of defender of Megan Fox. I was, I was oft outraged by any profile that was written about her that seemed to at once feature her self-awareness about her public image and her self-awareness about her place in this, in this, you know, the firmament of Hollywood while also disregarding her as sort of simple or a bimbo and the the public sentiment that echoed that media sentiment and the mm-hmm. horrible shitty circle jerk that that became because she was never not aware of who she was or how she was market marketed or her participation in that and the fruits that came with that as well as the burdens that did so you go back and read those 2009 2007 eight profiles now and she is every bit as aware of her star persona as she was, as she is today in 2020 with the benefit of hindsight. People just disregarded it because of the kind of hot she is. And, and it is that. It is a specific kind of hotness. And it's the same thing Emily Ratajkowski, the the model recently posted, uh, recently wrote an essay for New York Magazine, featured on thecut.com currently, about trying to buy back and, and sort of, you know, her, as much of her image as possible and, and what happens when your image becomes a part of the public domain and you can't really stop that. And there's a similar sort of reflexive derision around Emily Ratajkowski as there was at that time around Megan Fox. And it's entirely because of the way, the version of pretty that they are, that engenders a very easy reflexive animosity from women and a very reductive misogyny from men. Yes. The way I've always thought of Megan Fox is that she, her, the kind of attractive she is, is a, uh, a Spencer's poster hot. Yeah. 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 It's the kind you would see in there with like 
seductive ones of like Kat Von D yeah. or whatever. Like she was that brand of hot. Yeah, it's like the the MTV version of a pinup. The MTV 2000s era version of a pinup, you know? Yeah. Not so oh, much totally. that Betty Page vibe, but like, you know, some the girl that comes on the calendar kind of thing. And yeah, no more blondes. Now we have like dark hairs. Yes. Yeah, and, and when you're dark haired, you when you're dark haired, you are fully in control of your sexuality and it's you had it coming <laughs> if something happened to you and you're your daddy's little devil and you can be tossed aside. You're not America's sweetheart. Jennifer's evil. I know. No, I mean, she's actually evil. Not high school evil. I've been through the occult section at the library five times. Our library has an occult section? Yeah, it's, um, it's really small. Yep, that's, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what happened to her. And what's so frustrating is that I look back at this time and so many of us fell into this trap. And so many of us bought into this absolute bullshit. And, and I Megan fought a Fox lot of people. Was... I fought a lot of people about that. Oh God! And that's <laughs> you were you were fighting the good fight. I and that's the th- really was. I made me so angry. And that's the thing is that we need to be able to admit that and be able to say, hey, you know what? This is a thing that really fucking happened in 2009, and this is behavior we normalize, and we need to own up to that mm-hmm. so that we can move past it. Because so many people are like. Oh, Oh, I've always loved this movie and I've always thought she was great and that's a small percentage of people a lot of people were terrible yeah this is, there's definitely like a real toxicity to how women are portrayed in like especially the latter half of the 2000s like even for other like female celebrities of the time whether they're like you have dark hair blonde hair whatever so many of them are defined by like simple things from that era like People still make is this chicken or fish jokes at Jessica Simpson. People ruthlessly mocked Britney Spears for having a public meltdown at the time, even though that should have been a point where everyone was empathetic, but instead they went, oh, she's such a train wreck. Like, the media and people as a whole just really wanted to hate women during that era. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at, I I think it was... uh... I forget the the profile that catalyzed it, but I remember last year, it might have been, it might have not been a new one, but an older one where like quotes were dug up from a profile of Margot Robbie. It may or may not have been from the one that Rich Cohen wrote for Vanity Fair that was an absolute fucking travesty. Or it may have been another one that was written about Margot Robbie in which like the conceit was, you know, Margot Robbie is very adept at making you feel like you're on a date with her. And I think it was one of my former co-workers at Vulture who started posting excerpts from one of those profiles and they were just so hideously embarrassing and somebody responded to her and was like every woman profiled from like 2000 to 2010 deserves an apology and yeah and 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 Rachel responded back to her she's like or for every profile ever and it's like yes (laughs) but there was an like that is absolutely true but there was an acute there was a bridge time in the 2000s where it was in the heat of, like, the superficial and gawker and delisted and, like, the rise of the celebrity blog economy. And it was, uh-huh. the, the, like, the peak of, like, X-17 paparazzi shots. And so there was a huge economy for stealing sort of the, the moments and lives of famous people, but it was pre-social media when people could really take that into their own hands. And for better or worse, however you feel about social media, it did kind of dilute the market for the paparazzi photo because we could just look at these people all the time with photos they were posting of themselves. Exactly. So there was this high demand for celebrity content that I feel like it. I feel like its analog was 
the monkeys era, like the Partridge family era of the 60s and 70s, when the, the like the idea of prefab marketing a young person commodity came with like a whole lifestyle and an image that you groomed and you maintained and you manufactured like a product off an assembly line. Okay, it was a brand. Yeah, and there were, sh- there were shows that centered on these people with offshoot albums. So it was like the 360 entertainment experience with, you know, you were in Tiger Beat magazine. Because we obviously had that ever since the sort of the Monkeys Partridge Family era, but I feel like there was a heat to it at that time that was replicated in the 2000s, where it it likely won't ever be that acute again. Because I think we have, I think our relationship with celebrity is evolving, not thanks thanks in no small part to how celebrities have acted out during the pandemic, but also oh God, because yeah. of how. <laughs> Because of just how social channels enable us to have exposure to these people constantly, we don't really need to clamor it or or <laughs> we don't need to pay for our content, as is the sort of digital ethos of the 21st century. And so at this time, you had a ravenous media machine that was as objectifying as it had ever been for for women and anybody of difference who deviated from the sort of white straight norm, particularly white straight male norm. And so you had just the idealized form of these women was not was not women or adults but as playthings and and girls and you also have at that time the hypersexualization that's coming sort of like the biggest thing since Madonna where you have Britney Spears and that coquettish like girl woman is all mm-hmm. the rage so it, it was a very toxic amalgamation of of circumstances and mores that allowed for I feel like one of the more virulent strains of celebrity discourse around women at a time when we uh, were on we're coming into like a fourth fucking wave of feminism at that point and should have had our shit together enough to understand by that time we knew better we knew better at that point if we didn't know better in the 90s we didn't know better the 80s we did in the 2000s but we were right at the cusp of having the language to actually talk about what we knew better about and which we have now but then it was kind of like the last wild wild west days of celebrity internet culture i i agree with you completely and i think what made Megan Fox and specifically Jennifer's body kind of caught in this perfect storm is that Megan Fox was one of the few women to actually call it out for what it is. Oh, and she absolutely. was punished for it. And that makes me want to kind of segue into the film a little bit and talk about Jennifer Check as a character. So Harmony, I'm going to throw it to you as somebody who, you know, was introduced to this character later in life. What do you make of Jennifer Check? She, she sucks a little bit, but not, not in a bad way, I guess, is, is, is a simple way of putting it. <laughs> I've watched this movie in passing. We've put it on like at, the bar we work at just in passing and (laughs) I have vivid memories of seeing the first maybe 30 minutes of this movie Mm -hmm. probably two times before we actually (laughs) sat down and watched it for this and we hit a point around where she uh is seducing the cute little emo boy oh Colin Gray yeah around that point where I go okay now I'm off the rails I'm in uncharted territory and don't know what's about to happen (laughs) shouts out to Kyle Gallner what a what a treasure. For real. For just playing every boy who asked me to homecoming. Good for him. I actually wanted to, uh, to ask you something. You want to know if I'll go out with you? No. Yeah. What? I... I don't... How'd you, how'd you Just know? go ahead with the pitch. Okay. Um... Well, we've been having a lot of fun in class, you and I, and I thought that maybe you'd like to go see a movie or something. There's a uh, midnight showing of Rocky Horror at the Bijou next weekend. I don't like boxing movies. Yeah, but it's not, it's not a... 
Fucking boxing movie. Um, fuck it. Okay. Forget it. He just, there, there is a sincerity that comes off of every Kyle Gallner performance that is so genuine. And he's, I just, I really, anytime he pops up on screen, he's largely why he and Rooney Mara together. I love the the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street from, what was that, 2013 or something or 2009? <laughs> um, I'm all in because I want to ride with that duo for a night. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll hang out with them all day, every day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, see, I have like so little exposure to this I know it's wonderful. that I have nothing to contribute to this conversation. It's so wonderful. You have no idea what kind of a mess we were talking about I, now. I, I'm glad you two are having fun. That is, that is my, I hope both teams have fun. That's where I'm at. So as far as like, as far as Jennifer's character goes, she is every kind of like vapid, needs attention kind of high school girl that feels very real, especially for this era that I can remember going to school with. And it makes her, like, extremely narcissistic and self-centered and exploitive to her friends. But she's also really charismatic about it. Oh, God. So if I knew her in person, I'd be like, oh, God, you're you're miserable and I don't like you. But watching this, I'm like, oh, you're kind of a bad bitch and I'm about it. <laughs> <laughs> My feelings on Jennifer Check is that I relate... I'm like uncomfortable in the ways that I relate to her. Obviously, I was never that hot in my life. Jesus Christ! Uh, you people, have you I seen mean, yourself recently. <laughs> oh, thank you. I mean, um, having having been within handshake distance of Megan Fox, I mean, few people are. It's hardly it, yeah. it's hardly a <laughs> condemnation of one to say they've never been Megan Fox hot. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like, congratulations, you were born a human being. <laughs> So, like, I've never been at that level, so to speak, but I was definitely kind of a big fish small pond situation for a while, and with that comes this weird sense of confidence that, like, only teenage girls can have. Oh, man. Invincibility uh, is amazing. And I love that about this character, but I also love that she does not give a fuck. Like, they're are no fucks to be found. She is doing what she wants, good or bad. And I envy that confidence because I never was quite at that level. Like I was a little bit too empathetic, but... Oh, the total lack of empathy she has where she's just like, okay, shut up about the kids dying in a fire. I don't want to hear it anymore. Multiple <laughs> times. Like, oh my God. Which like, part that's, of me is like, that's sweet, oh my Jen. God. <laughs> part of me is like, oh my God, you should care more. And then the other part of me is like, you know, I also <laughs> would like to move on with my day and not just constantly be reminded about how bad things are. Like, I think I'm turning more into Jennifer Check in quarantine because it's like, <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. Everything's fucking awful. I got it. Let's move on. I don't need to listen to any more, like, bad Kings of Leon bands to get the point that it sucks. <laughs> oh, Jesus. The next time I hear, any time the next time I hear Kings of Leon will be too soon. <laughs> what's really bad is i know someone who kings of leon is like one of their favorite bands and has a tattoo oh well you know i support loving what you love so good for people, that people like, are allowed to have ta- taste i'm not gonna hate on someone for liking a band like that no. i sometimes defend Coldplay on a rare occasion so <laughs> you know what you do you exactly so Jordan, how do you feel about Jennifer Chad? Oh my god, I was in love with her from the start. I <laughs> um I am ab- I am so tremendously and proudly a needy lesnicky. And 
I think that I, I think that the the thing about that the thing about a co- that comment that gets lost is when we think of I mean her name Needy Les what a genius move but right like, it's incredible like the the thing that that doesn't that doesn't ne- necessarily come because we Jennifer comes up so much more than Needy but the best part about Needy is that she's actually. It, but for her, the interdependency that Jennifer and Needy have on one another, which is which is a well codependency, which is it is mutually reciprocated. They they need one another for their their various things that they need to fulfill inside them as as teen girls. But Needy is so self confident. Needy is mm-hmm. self possessed. She knows who she is. She knows that she has to amend who she is in the presence of Jennifer. But you mm-hmm. see her in a relationship with Chip, which is a lovely little romance. I, you know, it's it's so nice to be able to root for as much as I root for you know Jennifer and Needy running off together hand in hand. I also root for Chip and Needy, and I'm super bummed that like due to death as a result of being eaten by a succubus, succubus that didn't work out between them, and. I just, it's its nice to have the character that is sort of perceived to be the sub in a relationship yes. like this, where in movies that character is typically your sort of Jennifer Jason Lee and your single white female. They have no identity without the object of their admiration. It is, um, you know, they don't know where they end and the other person begins. In this one, this is just actually much more reflective of how, as a needy, character in my own life I seek out very I I am very drawn to very charismatic people and I like the sort of seduction of that aspect and I like to experience that in a very self-aware way where I do know what is going on and I willingly give myself over to it because it's fun and as somebody (laughs) who is a I'm a pan romantic gray sexual person my my friendships are are the love stories of my life I am not a sex having person to this point in my experience the idea of being so devoted to this person and yet at the same time maintaining that sense of self without losing track of who I am and being confident in how I move through the world, I don't often get to see both at the same time in movies. I either right. have to, I either see my bad bitch in Jennifer or I see the sort of lapdog friend in what I think is sort of the popular imagination idea of a needy. When the reality of her is actually, the way Diablo wrote her and the, the way Karin executed that movie, it is so much more authentic to a multi-layered human being. And I love archetypes. I love archetypes. I love lesbian psychosexual horror. Give me all that stuff. I love genre film. Don't we all? Yeah, like I, I love the, you know, the friends who who are so obsessed with each other that they go insane and they kill their parents kind of movies. Like those are great. But the fact that I get to have this movie, which really still in its kind of, like it close to stands alone in the way that it is respectful of this toxic dynamic that is very identifiable, I think, for people who grew up as teenage girls and, you know, people like myself who have engaged in infatuative friendships throughout their entire life and has sought to do so because that's a very satisfying thing for me. It's nice to have this little item right here where I can be like, oh, yeah, but then also, like, you're going to make the needy les jokes. But if you actually watch the movie, she's never following Jennifer around. She genuinely wants to be around her. And having a, you know, a friendship that's probably not really good for you, but that is kind of like the most important thing in your life, that's super fucking normal. And Jennifer needs needy because she, too, is really insecure. Like that whole climactic mm-hmm. scene at the end where they're in the swimming pool and they're just laying out each other's dirt. Like, we get a full read on Jennifer's, like, mental health and catastrophic self-image issues in that moment. Whereas, like, 
Needy doesn't actually suffer from that sort of teen crisis of confidence and is, is the more stable rock of the two. So I like their essentialness to each other without it going beyond to it. Like, you know, you go beyond because it's a succubus movie and that's amazing and I love it and it's horror. But at the same time, like I, you know, maybe this is skipping ahead to what you're something you're going to talk about, but I was asked recently, like, how do you feel about the ending of this movie? And while I would love for them to, for them to skip off together and for them to be the one true pairing, Jennifer and Needy, it's also kind of like the horror movie version of that friend you had to break up with. You are never a good friend. Even when we were little, you used to steal my toys and pour lemonade on my bed. And now I'm eating your boyfriend. See? At least I'm consistent. Why do you need him? Huh? You could have anybody that you want, Jennifer. So, why Chip? Is it just to tick me off? Or is it because you're just really insecure? <sighs> I am not insecure, needy. God, that's a joke. How could I ever be insecure? I was the snowflake queen. Yeah. Two years ago, when you were socially relevant. I am still socially relevant. And when you didn't need laxatives to stay skinny. Oh, that's absolutely what it like, is. And I think in a lesser movie, Needy as a character would be somebody who like wishes that they were Jennifer and wants oh, to be yeah. more like her. Absolutely. And that's not who she is. Nope. And it would have taken like a mean girl's kind of rap. Yes, absolutely. And it doesn't go there because Needy always knows who she is. And always. she knows who she is in Jennifer's life and Jennifer knows who she is in Needy's life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's such an important thing is these toxic friendships that we have to break up with. Because I think in Because they in are breakups. They are breakups. I think it's very important that we codify that, like, the dissolution of your, like, of that, like, heart-to-heart -heart connection of, a, of your deeply intimate friendships, those are full-on lose-a-limb, send-you-into-a-spiral breakups. That is, they Absolutely. exist tantamount I, to that. I've been so much more just gut-wrenched over losing, like, one of my best girlfriends than I have over anyone that I've ever dated. Right. Like, there is, people see, like, what we consider intimacy is so formed by this binary of, like, the, the sex-having relationships that you have, and then anything else is just friends. Like, put quotes around that, just friends. Mm -hmm. And that is, reinforces this idea that you have, like, that one relationship in your life where they are your significant other. They are significant. They are up in the hierarchy. And I feel like the way we're sort of brought up is that that's the person who you tell your secrets to. That's the person who knows more about you than anything else. That's the person who should be the one only one and only receptacle for like your tough days and your celebrations and your triumphs and your and your 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 trials. When it's like that's a fucking lot of pressure to put on one single person. Like the idea that we cannot disseminate in different but equally meaningful ways our love and care for people across different relationships in our life that they must exist in these compartments of significant other and therefore less significant others in all other aspects of your life is really dumb. Like, it, that can be how you choose to live your life, but there is a spectrum out there of how people live, such as myself, to where I haven't ever been holding out or haven't ever needed to sort of wait to, to feel safe and vulnerable about one specific person can sort of carry my private life with them. I'm very confident. I'm very public. I don't really have any conversational boundaries. Um, but for let's be mutually respectful here. So like the idea of, of my intimate relationships, I give myself over as much as 
the people who I care for the most will sort of welcome me. And then mm -hmm. I take in as much from them as they are willing to give me. And there's sort of no limit to like, oh, well, that doesn't belong in our friendship because it's just a friendship. I'm not fucking these people. But up to the point of that, I like it is of my mind to just naturally instinctually share all of the parts of myself because that's what I do. And so when you say what does what does a Jennifer check mean to me? Jennifer check is the exact troublesome version of the sort of people and figures I've been sort of pursuing and, and chasing after platonically lusting after my entire life because <laughs> I have a lot of energy I have a lot of output I have a lot to give I'm an extrovert and it happens to be that in a in a when it is done when it is done um sort of safely and with mutual respect High maintenance people fit me very, very well because <laughs> I am a lot of person and I have a lot of love and energy and affection to transfer over. And so when there are people who sort of need a bit more of that to feel their sort of comfortable selves uh, or they can absorb more of that because it is just beneficial or positive for them, then I'm your fucking person. And so I see a Jennifer check. I'm like, oh, that's somebody who can handle me. Like, that's somebody who needs what I have to give. And the teen self version of me, that's fucking self-destructive. And you don't want to replicate that relationship and it's bad. But, like, there's a theoretical sort of grown-up version where Jennifer Check gets a, you know, develops empathy and gets a handle on the sort of, like, deleterious aspects of her narcissism and goes to therapy and gets a hold of them and understands where the <laughs> limits of that are. And then someone like that fits very comfortably with me, where I, too, have done a lot of self-actualization as a person who needs to be needed in life. And then we can just be complimentary to one another. And it can be like a fire that I can give my oxygen to. Yeah, I totally understand everything you're saying, though. I think there is actually a really interesting <clears throat> uh, sort of sort of asterisk to this whole thing that I don't know if either of you firsthand experience. Right. But, you know, OK, great. I have um, I'm totally cool with like discussing the details of my life with my friends because it's not fair to like your romantic partner to be like, hey, you're the only person I'm ever going to tell everything about and just unload that. Sure. I think a lot of people in quarantine uh, <laughs> or I guess not staying in quarantine so well, some of them now okay. are definitely having a lot of difficult relationship issues because they're not used to having so much of their significant other. Yeah, and that's a lot. The straight couples in particular are <laughs> really struggling with that because they don't realize how much they don't like their spouses and stuff. But the interesting thing that I'm noticing is I, I agree with everything you say, and I think that's how it should be. But I have gone my whole life, or at least probably the first 25 years of my life, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. almost exclusively having male friends for the majority of it. Totally. And you can't do that with guy friends. Mm -hmm, Even mm -hmm. now I have like male friends where I have conversations with them and they, you know, just casually ask like, oh, how are you doing? Yeah. And the default thing you're supposed to say is like, oh, I'm fine, you know, right. um, I'm just hanging in there or <laughs> just another day or whatever surface level small talk thing you're supposed to say. And right. then you move on with talking about whatever shallow thing you feel like discussing. Mm -hmm. And I've had friends where I try to be like, oh, well, I, things are really tough because of this thing in my life, whatever mm -hmm. it might be. And they go, oh, okay. Well, right. that sucks. Yeah, sorry, and then they, bro. they then they like deflect and want to have a different conversation because so many like guys, particularly straight guys, yeah. are not adept to deal with this mm -hmm. kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. And I I'm sitting here right now thinking like Jennifer's body's not a movie whose themes could exist 
I, I almost, at least for me, I don't know if I would believe them if it was like two men in this kind of dynamic. Oh, God, no. Right, right. And I think that that's what scared away, and not just these themes, but this story is definitely one that's not going to resonate with straight male audiences the same way that it does with women, which kind of goes back to the culture of 2009 and how this film was marketed. Yeah. Because this film was not marketed as the girl power, like, girlfriends movie that it is, or, you know, even the queer movie that it is. It was marketed as, like, look how hot Megan Fox is. It was marketed queer in that they kiss in the trailer. Yeah. That, but, that it was kind of, and she, <laughs> and she specifically says her I go both ways line Absolutely. in the trailer. And they, and they are plucked out specifically to be like, yeah, boys, there's girl kissing. Yeah, which like, this this, I had a thing where I was a swimmer for like 11 years and I stopped and my grandmother really wanted me to get back into it because, I don't know, she just wanted me to do sports in high school because teamwork and social building i don't fucking know but she specifically tried to bribe me like as like a oh here's a thought you may not have thought of it's like hey if you join the swim team in like you know 10th grade or whatever there'll be like cute girls your age in swimsuits hey, hey. and that's like that's like my 70 some year old grandmother trying to like entice me to join a swim team which like one that's super weird and two <laughs> My grandma doesn't understand how the internet works. Like, I can see the same thing, but more and better and tailored to my specific fetishes that I hadn't worked my way through just yet. Right, exactly, exactly. So, like, like, that's a mindset of almost a bygone era that a lot of older people and men who just, you know, they don't want to talk about their feelings and communicate and critically think about this stuff. Yeah. So they're getting left behind in, like, the dark ages of, like, the 50s almost. Yeah, yeah. So we've talked about our two main characters, so let's talk about some of, like, the theming that's going in throughout. Uh, Harmony or Jordan? We're really just going to skip over side characters in this movie. You know what? We've been, like, touching on them a little bit. Yeah, let's let's (laughs) dive in, especially because at the time of us recording this, I made a really funny J.K. Simmons joke (laughs) that is going viral on Twitter, and I'm proud of it, and he has a hook hand in this movie for no reason. And I'm proud of it. Yes. I literally tweeted that and then said it out loud to the two people in the room with me at work going, I'm really funny. (laughs) I was so proud of it. Okay, yes, we'll talk about our side characters. So, Jordan, you brought up Chip earlier. Mr. Mr. Johnny Simmons or Mr. Young Neil, if you're a Scott Pilgrim fan. Why is he so fucking endearing? I, I mean, when I, when I was, when I had the honor of talking to Karin Kusama and, and Megan Fox about this at Beyond Fest last year for the 10th anniversary screening, I, we, they were like, at one point, Karin just started listing off like all the incredible co-stars. Like she's like, Amy Sedaris and J.K. Simmons and Kyle Gallner. She's like, and Johnny said, and, and right when she said that, Megan like interrupted her to be like, oh, Johnny. Like it was like, oh my <laughs> God. Right? He's very likable. Like he is, he's w- like every pop punk nice guy, but he's actually nice he just and it's that way his mouth moves when he talks and he just like i do not i do not get like googly eyed i have been running away from like charming 
boys my entire life because I consider them a threat and a liability. <laughs> so, they are. So when, you, so when you get one that really is just like, oh, look at you. I feel like if I feel that way, that's when you know it's really worked. So the fact that this like movie with with him and Kyle Gallner, both just two guys, I'm like, oh, you guys is a real coup, is a real so it's triumph. Just, it's pushing all of the right buttons for you. I just like, I trust them. I trust them and that is not something I innately feel in reaction to dudes. <laughs> I think it's a great point to make, though, because a lot of, like, we do have kind of, like, our shitty jock characters, but even our shitty jock characters are not that shitty. I mean, Chris Pratt's kind of shitty because he wants to be a cop, so, like, fuck that. But, but, like, our other jock character, he's in mourning, and he's sad the whole time. he He is just, really, you want to give that guy a hug. You just, yeah. he's like in a wood, in the woods crying about his best friend. <laughs> and then he's just screaming and letting it all out. And J.K. Simmons has my favorite line in the movie where he's just like, just let it out. Let kids. it out. Let kids. it out. <laughs> let it out. Oh, it's my favorite line in the movie because it's so like, one, he has like a bad wig. And oh my God. It's always weird. But like, it's so sincere it because is. I just believe J.K. Simmons as well. Everyone's so believable in this movie. I feel like J.K. Simmons and the guidance counselor from Heathers are cut from the same cloth where they're like way too invested in the emotional well-being of their students, but it's kind of endearing. There definitely, yeah. there definitely needs to be, there definitely needs to be some sort of like vulture or ringer ranking of like high school guidance counselors in movies because that's a real when you get like the key guidance counselor figure who I think you know there's also it counts to have teachers in that because they become guidance counselors that is just it's an incredible sub entry into the cinematic pantheon oh especially because we see it a lot in the movies we do for this show like oh yeah we sit there and go like, oh, well, if there was a ranking of guidance counselors, where would Allison Janney end up from 10 Things I Hate About You? Because she's a bad guidance counselor, but I like her. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think it's Natasha Leone and like, excision. I mean, come on. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I mean, exactly. No, I mean, this is, it's, I mean, it's a movie that's like all hits, no skips. You have Adam, you have side character Adam Brody. You have side character J.K. Simmons. You have side character Amy Sedaris. Like, it's just, it's crazy how stacked up this movie is in its, day, in its like, day player roles and what is so fucking crazy to me when i think about like adam brody and low shoulder in general is that jennifer's body is also making commentary on the predatory nature of like pop punk and emo bands of this time which is something that wouldn't have been like unleashed for another five six years but like and turns out was Oh, really, really bad. Yeah. Wow. Diablo Cody tapped into that culture and was like, no, this is bad and we should be afraid of this. These are horrible boys. Like, stop listening to their poetic lyrics. They're Mm -hmm. awful people. And it's like, fuck, you got it. Yeah, it's, um, that's another thing with, like, the side characters is, like, with people like Low Shoulder or Chris Chris Pratt's character. Yes. You hate them for the right reason. Yeah. Like, they are, they are presented in a way where it's like, hey, you're not supposed to like them. They suck. And then they just, like, really make you hate them. Yeah. And it's like, there's some... It's it's really... It's, it's okay to be likable, but it's really hard to make it go like, yes, I have a seething dislike for you. And the low shoulder guys are just absolute sociopaths during the scene where they sacrifice Jennifer... Like, to the point oh. where they're creepily singing Jenny, and it's like, yeah. wow, these are evil, evil men. Yeah, and it feels very, very accurate. All right, here we go. It's going to be gnarly. Oh, please, please, please. Oh, please, Wait a God. second. I just thought of something. 
Jenny. Jenny, you're the girl for me. You, know, you don't know me, but you make me so happy. I tried to call you before, but I lost my nerve. I used my imagination, but I was disturbed. Jenny, I got your number. I need to make you mine. Jenny, don't change your number. That scene is incredibly uncomfortable to watch for a number of reasons, but I think that it's because they're sort of emulating this borderline, like, clockwork orange, like, juxtaposition <clears throat> with, you know, gleeful music yeah. and horrible atrocities. Yes. And then, you know, just, you know, watching Megan Fox commit that hard is really hard to watch because she's... I mean, you can speak on it more since it was something that came up during your screening mm -hmm. last year, and... If you want, I'd rather you explain. So, like, why is that scene in particular so fucking hard to watch? Sure. I mean, Jennifer, it was, it's one of, anytime you can engage in a successful sort of meta casting round, it's it's such a wonderful sort of side add-on to a movie, like with an Allison Williams in Get Out and The Perfection. And, and, you know, there are other examples that they're leaving me right now, but Megan Fox being a quintessential sort of example of how you can take the persona of a character and not cast somebody to play themselves, but be like, there's a reason you are here, and it is because you are talented, but it is also because that there is a headline version of you that exists as exactly the thing I'm commenting on in this movie with my character of Jennifer Check, mm -hmm. and that's why Diablo knew she wanted Megan for Jennifer. She knew that was that was the character that she had in mind. That was the actor she had in mind for that character. It was very much sort of built around what Megan represented, and and Megan uh, talked in that conversation at Beyond Fest about how. And, and Karen said too, she was like, "That was a really difficult day. That was that was definitely the most difficult day on set, and to see." Megan go to the places that she did while filming in the freezing ass cold in a Canada night laying on a tree stump like to watch her go to the places that she did was so intense and so admirable and and Megan too talked about how you know she had grown so accustomed to also having to wear sort of like the bad bitch persona that she obviously commented on and, and she made aware mm -hmm. was a, a fabrication to a degree but you have to keep that up so much and you have to act like everything just rolls off your back in order to just march forward and also in order to keep your career that in this moment where she suddenly was where she was suddenly confronted with the fact that it was okay for her to drop the guard where it was okay for her to tap into the rage and the sadness and the pain and that that was actually something that was going to be an asset to her to dig into that and confront it instead of a liability she just gave herself completely over to it and it, and it kind of been fucked her up like it was intense for her to get to embrace that abuse and embrace that mm -hmm. exploitation and then, you know, you have to go on and you have to keep filming. But that was that was a catharsis for her in a way that she really wasn't allowed to have. She wasn't, the armor wasn't allowed to break. Not really when you're, you know, any woman famous in the industry, but acutely when you're what Megan Fox was in that industry at the time, at the end of the 2000s. And so, I mean, that, like, it was, a, it was like a primal scream in therapy, I would imagine. And I, I, I think so too. I can't, I can't imagine that getting used to, talking about it 
and processing it. And so it's you're putting it on the table and you're being honest. So it's like you're dealing with it. But also the talking about it and the actively processing of it has to be a part of the performance too because you have to be able to wake up every day and go to work. So you have to tell yourself that I can deal with it. You can have to tell yourself it's not getting to me. And then in the moment in this scene where it's like, oh no, this is the part where it has to get to me. This is the part mm-hmm. where I have to expose everything that I've been keeping under the surface. I mean, that's not like a ripping off of the Band-Aid. That's just like, that's taking a knife and dragging it across a torso and just cutting and like going full Suspiria and just like pulling your beating heart out of your body. I love that and hate that story so much. Isn't it just rough to hear? I mean, doesn't it make you so mad? It's just, it's just so Uh, gut-wrenching because I think about, this is going to be a dumb tangent, but I think about how... um, in professional wrestling, there are these sometimes these really beautiful performers, and they're never allowed to be anything other than beautiful. Right. Like, you have to be this, like, hot, attainable person, so they never get to be funny, or they never get to be scary. And I think about a Megan Fox, and I think about Jennifer Check, and this is one of the most prominent examples in my mind of a character that is unquestionably beautiful. Yes. But is sad mm-hmm. and is hurt and is being treated so unfairly and terribly. Mm-hmm. And I think we we as a society have this tendency because we know that like pretty privilege is a thing that we just believe that there's no pain there. Like, why would there be pain? Because yeah. you're perfect. And yeah. It's like, no, it's not perfect. There is a lot of dark and awful stuff coming on here. Mm-hmm. And when you watch that performance in that moment specifically, it's awful because it's like, God damn, she really has it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, she is so talented and people, they just either can't see it or they're refusing to see it yeah. because of how she happens to fit aesthetically. Well, I, and I will, I will just for the integrity of the quote, I will, I will read the passage where she spoke about that from our conversation, just to have it in the official record here. She says, one of the things when I was doing that sacrifice scene, there are of course other things that I can pull from my childhood and past. But for me, that scene represented my relationship with the movie studios at the time and the studio executives and directors and just Hollywood in general, because on an almost daily basis, I felt like I was being sacrificed for their gain with almost no concern for my physical well-being. Fuck your mental or emotional well-being. That is never a question when you're a woman in Hollywood. Whatever they need to do, to me or put me through they were going to do as long as it got them what they needed so in that moment I think it was a very visceral very powerful almost cathartic experience because I was able to let everything out that I was trying to keep in and not be vulnerable and play tough and fight it I could just surrender to it and cry and wilt and it was okay end quote Ugh, just like my whole heart fell out of my butt. I know <laughs> and I've read that passage multiple times many times I've... The amount of times that somebody will be like, so I watched Jennifer's body and it's actually great. My immediate comment is, well, have you read this article? Yeah. Um, so then I end up reading it again. But I'm, I'm so glad that she acknowledged it. And that that's definitely how I feel about it. And I guess that's an aspect of girlhood that I think resonates regardless 
regardless of what you look like, mm-hmm. um, is that so often our pain is diminished or it's not taken seriously or it's ignored because we're told that we're being dramatic or hysterical or whatever. Or just right. PMSing. Or PMSing. Mm. Yeah. Are you PMSing or something? PMS isn't real, Needy. It was invented by the boy-run media to make us seem crazy. This movie is tackling so many things at once. Yes. And to know that so many people just wrote it off as like dumb Megan Fox movie really just gets under my skin. And then I also have like those moments of guilt of like, well, it perpetuated that in 2009 because (laughs) I had to be like so snotty about it to be like, I actually really liked it. Can you believe it? Yeah. Yeah. There has to be a qualifier. Which means you're still kind of leaning into it at that point you're you're having your cake and eating it exactly it's like i'm being a cool girl for admitting that i liked it but for saying that i didn't want to which is just such awful bullshit socialization response behavior but i mean that was my journey to work through and that's like that that's comes into the whole um teen girl experience is not universal and you're gonna approach this from so many different angles and Unfortunately, this was just a common one at the time. Well, and, and I, 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 you know, and, and feel free to not engage with the question, Harmony, if you do not, would not like to, but, you know. Oh, I will. You, Don't you worry. You, you know, you are, you are a woman in this world and you have the experience of juxtaposing uh, a time when that was not how you were presenting. Forgive me if my terminology on any of this is fucked up and feel free to stop me and correct me. But like, I, I don't want to like misname anything here. Like. I I have um I have only very few trans female friends, but like definitely it seems like there's a threshold that is hit where like wow men sure need to tell me how to fucking do things now. I've never really experienced that before in such a volume. Like your body is part of the marketplace as a woman in this world. How have you come around in your journey to this moment? Like you know that's a it's a different it's a different timeline of social conditioning and how you are meant to be seen as available when you, people want you to be available as a woman and then off to the side and on a shelf when you're not, when you're not desired in that way. So like, how has your journey with that been? Oh, I have so many feelings. You, yeah, that's like a subject. really broad <laughs> question. And like, if yes. I, like, it, Jordan, you just made my job so much easier because I was eventually going to like lead that. And then you started talking. I was like, I'm just going to let you go. Uh, right, like, okay, and I don't so. want like, and it's like, I, it's not like, oh, I need to put you on the spot. But like, I, I, I like, I'm talking all about my experience and how that's relevant to this right now. But like, I want to, I also, I want to know how your learned and comparative experiences factor into like when you want when you hear about this kind of prostration when you hear about this sort of exploitation and like the sort of placing on the sacrificial altar sort of thing that is very common to the female experience at any age and so I expected something that you have experienced as well like so yeah yeah so uh, there's there's a lot of things I can say about this let's let's start with this one I have gone through like a lot of um We'll say ups and downs sure. as far as like society's general uh, attractiveness towards me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Probably five years ago or so, I worked for about a year in an adult store mm. and I was so good at my job. Okay. I said for years that I will never be as good at anything in my life as I was at selling sex toys. I mean, and maybe that's... your future is entrepreneurial in the space of sex toys, Harmony. <laughs> uh, I, I would have so have much fun with that. Again. I've definitely gotten better at other things since then, thankfully, <laughs> because it's maybe not the best industry as far as, like, a minimum wage retail worker goes. Sure. But I, uh, at the time, was 
super uh, in the depths of the tail end of like a 10 year eating disorder uh-huh. and was wearing like a size five pant, uh-huh. which uh, for anyone who doesn't know, I'm 6'3". <laughs> so that is ludicrously small. Is, I had like th- no ass. That is I had, ludicrously was... small. You're absolutely yes. yes. I wear like a 16 or something now. So like I'm, I'm quite a bit larger <laughs> and much healthier as a result, but I was yelled at by my drag queen friends for having Hank Hill ass and had no hips Mm -hmm. and it was a hot mess. But when I was thinner, I was able to fit into better quote unquote clothes and was more desirable. And that was never more evident than when I was at work at the sex store that I worked Mm -hmm. at. Ever since being like, you know, a high schooler and being like, oh man, like suicide girls are so cool. I want to be one of them. Like that was always sort of the dream goal, but I could never think I could pull it off. And just over time, I've just phased out the like high femme, super vintage, like sexy aesthetic that I used to have because like that was, it was playing an extra role of feminine that didn't quite suit me uh, as well as I would have liked it to. And I've since like dyed my hair, not like a natural red. It's like, oh, it went to orange and purple and green and blue. And now I'm pretty comfortable with the blue Mm -hmm. and shaved all my hair off and had a mohawk for a while and got a bunch of tattoos and started just doing all this stuff. And I noticed a significant change in how I was treated Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because general dudes did not want to have sex with me as much anymore. Yeah, yeah. And that is not a bad thing. I'm certainly okay with it, (laughs) but their politeness also dropped. And I can't say how it is now because I haven't really worked with the public basically all this year, thanks to the pandemic. But people are now treating me more as like an enigma, a little bit of a confusion because I bartend, I work with the public Mm. and you're going to get a mixed bag of people. And some people think I'm just, you know, uh, a man who really likes to wear fishnets and skirts for some reason. (laughs) Some people think I'm a boy George type. Some people think I'm a drag queen, Mm -hmm. all of which are wrong. They never bother to ask because they don't want to have their head bitten off for not knowing. Mm -hmm. So I definitely noticed like, as far as like sex appeal goes, there is a, there's a big distinction between how people treat you when they find you sexual. Oh boy. Oh, well, and, uh, and, and I, I will, I, I, I'm just going to say real quick, BJ, that sure, the sure. interesting thing about that to me is, because like, just by chance, I have sort of ended up with a lot of um, very attractive friends and it's fun, like g- great for all of us, great for all of us. But the only, reason <laughs> I, the only reason I point that out is because I, as an ace person, I give off a pretty solid wall of no and <laughs> like in bars and situations like that, I'm a, I'm a solid looking person, like like a respectable mid tier on the on the rankings, I that is not self deprecating. I'm completely fine with that. I'm very proud of who I am, and I love me. But Good. I only say that to point that out because I am often surrounded by people who would be higher numerically on sort of that you know one to ten hot or not scale, and yeah. it is it has been to my delight that I don't really get acknowledged out in social situations like that, out at a bar, like a straight, particularly at straight spaces. Because I think it's it's not an aspect of like, oh, this girl's not attractive or she's a total troll. I think it's, I give off this, there is going to be way too high of a barrier to entry there and I don't even want to fuck with that. So I'm just going to like definitely focus on these hotter friends. Like even when somebody tries to wingman me, it dies very quickly because I'm like, you don't have to do this. Your friend can talk to my friend. 
you can leave me alone. And like, <laughs> they're like, oh, the, you're, I'm, I'm just going to go. I'm like, yeah, go buy another girl a drink. You're good. Good to go. Good you're, to go. You're not supposed to pull the curtain back and reveal the magician's <laughs> tricks. It's, and it's just like, it is a fascinating, and it, I'm, I'm very grateful that like that comes hand in hand with my, my, you know, lived asexuality. And it's, that is a relief to me that I am not, because man, the amount of, emotional and like just time emotional real estate and time management I watch my friends out in social spaces have to devote to managing men off of them or around them or in their space I kind of am like a flyover state in that regard and it really and this is all just a very circuitous way to say when you are not designated as like on hot island or on desirable island it really does blip you out of existence in certain ways. And again, that is in a way that I, I do not seek attention from men. So that has been something that has sort of been a relief to me. And it is something that has made me feel safer. But if, thankfully, none of us are seeking attention from right, men. <laughs> right. But it, like, if I was a, who like, if I, if there was, you know, if I was pursuing men or if that was something like, God, that would really fuck with me. Like that would like the way that that dial just get that light just gets turned off. And it's just this sort of subconscious deprioritization of the people who do not move through the world as fuckable, whether that is either in an energy or in an aesthetic. The There is the burden of both. Like, if that's something you want and you don't get it, it can make you feel terrible. And if it's something that you you like, but you just can't stop getting it, it's like, Jesus Christ, does this ever end? I, I Can they just leave me alone? God, man, the attention of men. What a, what a <laughs> fucking razor blade. Well, that's something that I wanted to bring up is that... In what Harmony was talking about, this is definitely the experience that she's discussed with me regarding, like, straight male attention. Sure. But I would argue that your level of attractiveness and desirability changes completely when we are in queer spaces. I think that is accurate. I think that is accurate. Because oh, yeah. we, uh, you know, the bar that we work at... It's, it's a very queer-friendly bar. There's a lot of queer events that happen. And there have even been moments of strife in our relationship, not between us, but in the way that queer people analyze a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, there's frequently comments about how I don't deserve harmony because I'm a fat person. Sure. Um, about how they don't understand how she could be with me because I'm so femme and womanly. Right, right. And I'm not androgynous Which enough. Which is my jam. <laughs> Right, like I'm that, very thankful. You didn't, you you didn't like somebody's not going to say that to you, and you're not going to look at her and be like, "Shit, you're right." No, I'm yeah. pretty sure you're aware of BJ. Like, what the hell is that? <laughs> I like to aim to land my attractiveness lands pretty staunchly on the femme end of the spectrum, and. What is more femme than like really womanly curves and like yeah. big yabos? <laughs> yeah. big well, naturals. and that kind of makes me that kind of makes me connected to Jennifer's body in a way. And that I remember when this came out that because the hatred of Megan Fox's attractiveness mm-hmm. in 2009 was so prominent that there were a lot of you know feminist groups and in a lot of feminist groups that also tends to have a lot of queer women yeah. yes. that were very against this movie, very. even though this is a queer fucking movie. Because of how hot Megan Fox is, and I, you can even take hot out of the equation, how femme she is, because yeah. she is pure pink femme yeah. in a lot of this movie, and that's unfortunately an experience that 
Harmony and I share Mm -hmm. in that Harmony will sometimes wear kind of like gender fuckery outfits. They definitely lean hard femme. Yeah. But when you pair that with the fact that she's trans, you know, that just makes people's heads explode. Right. Yeah. A little bit. But then like there'll be me and I'll have like a a dress on and like a full face of makeup with glitter and whatever. And so many people in queer spaces are so against my presentation because like apparently like I'm feeding into the patriarchy because I'm wearing lipstick. Right, right. Well, not, I mean, and Megan, Megan addressed that specifically too in her, um, it was last year, I think it was last year or the year before when she was uh, doing little press rounds for her, like her, her documentary show, like Legends of the mm-hmm. Lost that she produced and hosted. Um, she was asked by the New York Times, like basically, you know, do you have any Me Too stories? Less less abruptly than that but that was the thrust of the question and she said and, and she spoke about this in the beyond fest interview as well like uh you know she's like i have i you know there are stories i have a plenty i believe is what she said in the direct quote to me but that she didn't feel based on her lived experience and why should she that there was a place in the we love women we we are feminists we support you know speaking out me too she felt like yeah that would be true for everybody else but me and mm-hmm. I don't think that's a I don't think that's an egocentric way for her to frame that. I don't think that's what the world is all about me way. I think when you have the sample size that she did of her life at a time when she was speaking out in that way that we would we would herald now. We would call it exemplary right. and acknowledgement of the machine and the abuse. Um, at the time she was derided as ungrateful. She was, you know, lambasted by quote unquote Michael Bay's crew, not Michael mm-hmm. Bay himself mm-hmm. ghost blogging about what a, like, ingrateful brat she was on the set of Transformers. And so, yeah, like, it was, there was room, there was, there was room for all the ladies at the table. And if I were, you know, if I were Megan Fox, I would certainly, I think, take the the default position as well. as like, yeah, but for everybody else but me. So I just need to process this on my own. And I don't want to, I don't want to muddy the waters of the, the narrative around female empowerment by putting myself in there. I'm not trying to take anything away from the movement because it's a good thing. I don't want to go through the rejection of that again. And I don't want there to be some sort of like poison by association because I'm a part of it. And she has every right to feel that way. Oh, absolutely. And this is kind of like a frustration where she's she's being ostracized on like both ends of the spectrum because like obviously like straight dudes are going to like act shitty towards her and then women will act shitty towards her because they're like, oh, well, you're hotter than me. So I'm mad about it. Competition. And then even like as a queer film, this is a huge problem where queer women and like non-binary people and a lot a lot of them, they hate femininity so much in so many cases and i can think no better example of viewing that than when i went to a uh, i got dragged to a tegan and sarah show a couple years ago and it was on uh with the tour for that one album where they went really pop and it was very successful mm-hmm. and i don't give a shit uh it's the worst concert i've ever been to <laughs> not because they were bad they were perfectly fine they definitely bantered on stage and told some kind of weirdly like transphobic jokes about how they want to have kids and have them be boys because boys can climb mountains and go rock climbing like it was really weird and didn't make any sense but aside from the fact that i was too damn tall so all of their like laser light show stuff was (laughs) like just going off onto the crowd and hitting me right in the face it was like a really hostile and unpleasant environment in the crowd because it was a lot of queer women and Cleveland is a very small town, mm-hmm. just in general. Okay. 
the queer scene is even smaller. So there's this weird vibe of Cleveland is like the biggest little city ever. And so you are just in similar circles and you see these people. And I see this presentation at like the Tegan and Sarah show where there's women that I recognize from like, okay, Cupid. Cause you know, there's only like 40 women on there and then <laughs> yeah. everyone just stares at each other's profiles <laughs> yeah. and never actually says hi in to each other. In your small town. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and <clears throat> so I see them from like there or just existing in public or whatever. And these women at this show who normally present like very femme, are like, oh, I'm wearing, like, natural makeup and a flannel because I have to look extra gay for the Tegan and Sarah show. Yeah. Or they'll have, um, there would be, like, you know, partners there, and the, like, butchier member of the duo would be, like, aggressively holding their much more femme girlfriend's hand, saying, like, stay the fuck away from my girlfriend. Yeah, the very because... boyfriend in the hand, in the back pocket kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, where, like, they drift a little bit, and then, like, they kind of yoink their girlfriend back towards them. (laughs) There was a lot of that and it was awful. And especially now where we're championing like uh, the queer aesthetic of being like androgynous and kind of looking like a, you know, a 15 year old boy is like the aesthetic for like queer women and non-binary people. That's like the goal for a lot of Mm -hmm. them. And that's just, there's a litany of problems with that, but it's this super hatred of femmes to the point where, I feel like a lot of queer women are like, oh yeah, Megan Fox is really hot, but like in the way that like a porn star is hot, I wouldn't actually want to date you. I only want to have sex with you and then maybe not talk about it kind of a way. And it's really disgusting because I've been sexualized by queer women at my job Mm -hmm. and it's really awful. And I just have so much sympathy for Megan Fox for having to deal with all this shit from every aspect of like the spectrum of people. Well, and and, and that 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 spectrum the, the it sort of touch on in like a light way but in a, in a really I think meaningful way that this film does is the fact that the fact that Jennifer is sacrificed for being a virgin when she is mm-hmm. indeed a a person who has had sex in her life. The fact that you can be the you can embody the things that people can superficially toss you off as as the hot, you know, villainous girl who's the Lolita. Like she tempts the men and mm-hmm. she's also, you know, she's she's the hot girl, so she's the she's the one that the perhaps the less hot girls, I guess, feel in competition with or feel like a sort of knee-jerk sense of of revulsion towards or or hatred for. But then because this world is what it is, she can be twisted and 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 packaged into whatever thing a man needs her for at the time, which is her obvious to everyone else, like, sluttiness, I suppose you would say in Devil's Kettle, her obvious sluttiness is what they decide is the bellwether for her her secret virginity. Because when a girl's yeah. advertising it that hard, she's clearly just posturing. So the fact that she's looks like she's asking for it so much obviously means she's never had it before. So you're utterly damned if you do and damned if you don't when the box that everybody has put you in is one of monstrosity, regardless of what the reality is about yourself. I think the lead singer wants me. Only because he thinks that you're a virgin. I heard them talking. What? I'm not even a backdoor virgin anymore, thanks to Roman. And by the way, that hurts. I couldn't even go to Flags the next day. I had to stay home and sit on a bag of frozen peas. That theme is something that resonates with me so intently. Me too. Because 
for those who've never seen what I look like, um, I got dumb big tits. And they did <laughs> yeah, not you do. they did not just appear one day when I was twenty, when it was convenient. Right. Yeah. No, they showed up when I was eleven. Oh, Jesus like Lord. I was pushing a double D bra in eighth grade. Oh, like my it was God. a problem. And because of that, there was a lot of that treatment of like, well, clearly you're a slut. And I was like, uh, I don't know what that word means because I'm 12. And I remember when the first girl in my fifth grade, like my fifth grade, she wasn't in my class. She was in one of the classrooms down the hall. I remember when she got boobs in like fifth, fourth or fifth grade. Yeah, and that's nobody, like a groundbreaking event for childhood is the girl who gets boobs. Nobody else had them, but she did. And I don't, we didn't even know what the word meant, but people like the word slut was used about her. And we were like fucking 12 man like we were 11 and just because she developed a little bit more quickly than all the other girls around her like they i didn't see people being mean to her but it was like this whisper campaign of like well you know she's a slut right it was like what just imagine how bad it is when you're actually in like the boys locker room oh my god Oh, they say the absolute worst things. I, tr- I truly Ugh. believe the absolute worst. Jesus. It's, and it's just such an unfair way to make anybody live where it's like, all you're doing is trying to exist. And then all these assumptions are being made about you. And I'll be the first to admit, I mean, I joke about it on the show a lot that like I was, you know, very, very into experimenting in high school. And a lot of that comes from the fact that I had been told during my entire preteen years that I was a slut. Right. That finally I went fine so if, if you're, you're gonna, gonna say it about me then i'm just gonna do right. it yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna think i'm a slut anyway then uh how long can you put off being called a monster before you become one kind exactly, of situation exactly i i have um it's hot people sympathy and it's because look there is obviously beauty as currency and mm-hmm. beauty is a thing that that you know does get you access to certain places it does get you entry mm-hmm. but it also like when you know with anybody there there's a there's a concern of being objectified man woman however you are however you identify but the reality of of our society is that men feel entitled to there's a sort of cultural entitlement to women and you should be available whenever you are of use or are or are needed or wanted and the more visible you are the greater entitlement there is that the, the greater that sense of entitlement is so when you're pretty that sense of entitlement skyrockets even higher. Like there's an even greater sense that, well, I get access to you whenever I want because I can see you, you're so visible and you're so desirable. And then you mm-hmm. compound pretty with being famous and like ev- then everybody has access to you. It's not just, you know, the people who desire you sexually, but it's anybody who would want to know everything about you. Well, because you're a woman and you're pretty and I can see you all the time, then I should have, I should be able to open your drawers and find out whatever it is I want about you. And then in the sense too of, I have never, I like attention a lot. I like to perform. I like to be on stage. Like, that's a fun thing for me. But the idea of unsolicited, constant attention stemming from that, like, access entitlement is something I've always been, like, kind of, like, wiped my brow and been like, phew, I'm really glad I got through my formative teen years without that complete, that thing I had absolutely no say in being such a factor in how I formed my sense of self as a matter of how I was desired or not desired by other people. Because when you become aware that you're wanted, subconsciously or consciously, I think there's a tendency to like, 
react to that. that you either want to enable it and be like, ooh, that feels good. I want a little more of it. Or you're like, oh, that doesn't feel good and I don't want any more of it, mm-hmm. but I can't really stop it. But when you, if you get it and you, you like it and that's something that is a positive for you, if it goes away, you really feel it. And oh, absolutely. Like, 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 you know, yeah, you were the snowflake queen before you had to start, you know, being bulimic to stay skinny, Jennifer. Jennifer liked that attention. Jennifer liked to be seen. She liked to be noticed. She liked to be the head of the cheerleading team in her little white boots and purple skirt outfit. And then when she didn't, she felt she had to push her body to an extreme in order to recapture that out that external validation. It's just got attraction and it's it's a hard enough thing to balance when it doesn't include like violent objectification and then it just so often does and then it's like oh shit well now it's like a mental and emotional crisis that we're dealing dealing with in addition to like an issue of time management yeah i totally understand that especially because you know obviously i'm trans but i'm also six foot three and have blue hair so people see me and go oh well i'm I'm gonna comment on you because you wouldn't you know you wouldn't be dressed like a, a woman or you wouldn't have blue hair. You wouldn't whatever if, if you, you didn't, didn't want people want to look to. at you. Yep. Yeah. So like they make commentary on that all the time and to kind of bring this around to a different part that, um, uh, to a different angle from the question you asked me earlier about like transness and stuff is that's something I see a lot of trans women in particular have this thing where they're not used to being like noticed to the extent mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a lot of them because they were white or you know they spent 30 40 years being a you know a man it from a outside looking in perspective right. they now suddenly have the entire world looking at them mm-hmm. this opens up the the, the the pandora's box of welcome to womanhood yeah and it's really cruel because unfortunately a lot of trans women don't mentally prepare this because no one ever mentions it but what you're going to be treated like is you're going to be treated like a woman that most likely people do not want to have sex with because they now think that you're some sort of monster. Okay, okay. So you're going to be treated like either um, a, a, like a two or a ten. Okay. You're going to have people who are way too into you because they're chasers. Right. Or you're going to have people who are absolutely repulsed by you and are going to let you know mm-hmm. it. And it's this really disgusting thing of attraction where you just can't escape it no matter what. And there's no, uh, as far as like general things go, there's no healthy medium Mm -hmm. because people have such strong opinions and they feel like they're entitled to let people know them, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. especially on the internet where there's a bunch of, you know, anonymity. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that the unfortunate reality is that sometimes people think that you're a monster um, because now that can, you know, kind of roll back into Jennifer's body where it's like, by the time, you know, Jennifer didn't ask to become a succubus. That was not on her list of things to do. That was something that came completely without her consent. And it's at that point where it's like, okay, she's a monster and this is now how she has to survive. I don't feel bad for it. Like, like not for, like I feel bad for her. I don't feel bad for the victims. Like, no, this movie. Is I a probably good job. should. A bit. Not. Like I probably should because yet yeah, it bums me out that like Chip goes. I'm like, oh, that sucks. And like, oh, I feel bad that this you know sad jock in the woods is gonna die. Like, oh, I feel bad. I feel bad that Colin Gray is dying. Yeah. I feel bad. But at the same time, I'm like, you know what? She didn't ask for this, and this is just how she has to survive now. So that kind of sucks for other people, but I'm all right with it. I want to watch this monster kill everybody, because if you've made somebody feel like a monster their entire life, when they lean into it, I'm going to champion them. Yes, not 
not to fantasy book this too much, but I wish this had a little bit more of an element of like something that you see in Bit, where it's like a rogue group of vampires who are going after like like pedofi- shitty people, like pedophiles mm-hmm. and like the... fucking people who just treat people like garbage. Vigilantes. It's like, ooh. Yeah, if it had just a little bit more of that mm. and didn't go after, like, the cute little, like, emo boys, <laughs> then I'd feel, I'd feel a little bit better. I but... wouldn't have to do as many mental gymnastics to justify my love of watching her eat people. Yes. It would just be, it would just be so much more of, like, a clean, like, yes, this is perfect. But, but it's not unfortunately, clean, it's, messy. it's, it's not supposed sense. to be clean right. because, you know, shit like this is indiscriminate, unfortunately. Yes. Well, and and, and yes. A, thing that I, a thing that I really value about this movie is we have our incident, which is essentially, which essentially kind of functions as, the, as, as a rape scene in this movie with Jennifer. Oh, Scott absolutely. absolutely. And, but we have that moment. And then beyond that. We are the 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 trope of who a Jennifer Check is is so familiar to the tuned in viewer that we don't need people in the hallways being like passing by Jennifer and like trying to get her attention and then whispering slut when she walks by. We don't have like we don't need to witness a series of microaggressions against her that make us feel really gross, even if it's like an an ugliness we need to be faced with. It just makes me very glad that I don't have to watch Jennifer be subjected to violence in addition to the horrifying murder that she goes through because mm-hmm. the yeah. implication and the, the the implications are so effective and the awareness of the tropes is so broad that it's like right we don't need to put a hat on a hat like we we understand what this archetype is. We understand the role that she plays in this town. We have a we we know how people feel about her because we know how people feel about that. How f- people felt about basically the Jennifer Checks in our small towns. So I appreciate that it doesn't dip into a gratuitous realm of like we need to see more people trying to hurt Jennifer for her to earn hurting them. When like right. the condition of them has earned the fact that she will now seek retribution for like you know the greater the capital U us. <laughs> absolutely and megan fox is so good She's and the so writing good. is so good of She's establishing so good. this because you see a single scene and you have like the shorthand for i understand this character immediately yeah. it's so like cut and dry and just you get it and that conveyance is like so effective it is and i like as as jennifer as megan did say uh when in the the beyond fest conversation she was talking about how she said that the two things she's most proud of that she's done are Jennifer's body and New Girl. And Megan Fox is very funny. Megan Fox. She's so Megan funny. Megan Fox yeah. is, as as she said, like, I am, I am a nothing, if nothing else, I'm a comedy actress. And she was talking about how when she did her run on New Girl and, like, the reviews were coming out of that season and those episodes, people were saying, like, oh, she's actually, you know, she's actually good. She's pretty funny. And, you know, her response to that was, she just like took a big sigh and just goes, I mean, fucking watch Jennifer's body, you fuck faces. And I was like, ma'am, you've given me everything I need in this day. <laughs> fucking well, watch Jennifer's of... body, you fuck faces, I'm talented. <laughs> exactly. But I think a lot of people don't recognize like how much comedy is in this movie. It's, there's so it's... much of it. Especially because it's like very deliberate. I was actually having a conversation with um, one of my coworkers last night uh, saying like, oh, we watched Jennifer's Body and uh, like we had a good time, and their response was, oh, that movie's so bad, but like I enjoy it, and I'm like, it's I don't think it's actually it's that not. bad. It's I don't not think it's bad, bad at all. It's oh, actually no. an excellently I, well done film. Exactly, and I think maybe some people don't realize how much the comedy is deliberate in this yeah. film. Yeah. So many, so many horror movies 
the comedy's accidental, and then after years later, they'll be like, oh, well, no, it was on purpose. We were trying to be fun. No, you weren't. Your writing was just hokey and your effects were cheap. No, this movie knew exactly what it was doing out the gate. I mean, there's a scene in front of the lockers in the hallway where they're talking about going to Low Shoulder Show and Jennifer talks about having the car and she does because her mom's going on a date with, quote, the guy from the ham store. Like, (laughs) and Needy just dryly looks and goes, he seems nice. The guy from the ham store? (laughs) When Chip is asking Needy what the make and model of the van was that took Jennifer, she goes, I don't know, Chip, an 89 rapist? Like, (laughs) there's so many good things. There's Uh. so much funny material in this. And what always, like, frustrates me when people criticize Diablo Cody's writing is they're like, well, nobody talks like that. And it's like, well, okay, first off, people always have their made-up isms. Like, half of the isms that I have, I've stolen from vines from, like, eight years ago. (laughs) But more importantly, Diablo Cody's movies can kind of exist in any place or time. No, that's the thing. They're a snow globe. They They are their own time and place. Exactly. Like, she's not using lingo that was cool in 2009. Like... It's not tragically hip. Yeah, it's not tragically hip. Like, we even had the moment when she's, you know, seducing sad football boy. I think his name's Jonas, but my brain is like... Yeah, you're right, you're right. Sad football boy. But when she's seducing him and he's trying to, like change the subject and she just goes shutties and then i was like what the fuck does shut and i had this moment where i was like i'm not sure so i had to look it up and it's like oh she's like being cute and saying shut up and it's like okay i like that that's really cute nobody (laughs) said that it's just like it's it's i the 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 final girls podcast that i was recently on like i the the host anna bogutskaya very accurate she's called it jennifer speak like that movie that movie like it's very much diablo cody but like even to the like it is an is it it is a blowing up from what we saw in juno which very much has its own vernacular in it as well but it's like it is like and I know this very well because, like, I have a friend in my, my my friend group from college who, the way she talked, we as a group kind of adapted the way she spoke as our sort of baseline vernacular. Like, the mm-hmm. lilt of our voice would change because that was the way Emily talked. Like, we we absorbed Emily's you know, vocabulary. We kind of, like, styled jokes around her sensibility. And we didn't fucking plan it. It wasn't strategized. It just, yeah. she just had this way about her that she kind of, like, she was, like, our little, our, our tastemaker. And so, like, the idea that, and, 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 and I, I mentioned this, too, in that same conversation, in Never Been Kissed, the popular kids decide at the beginning of the school year that they're going to call everything that's cool Rufus, and they need to go right. around and spread it like wildfire. So by the end of the movie, if you say Rufus, that means something's cool. If there is a hot, influential teen in this high school, and she talks a certain way, it does have the ability to create a microcultural way of communicating in the way that like we are influenced by vines we are influenced by the way like the memes we see on twitter that's just this is the high school version of picking up the twitter meme like if that's a thing that jennifer says nobody else is really talking back to her like that but it makes sense that a 17 year old girl in a small town like this would develop her own kind of language for shits and giggles because it's just like i'm so bored out of my mind i'm gonna make my own goddamn language yeah especially because this is like this is like a pre-Facebook era, essentially, so everyone's existing on MySpace, so now you have, like, small-town bubble where people are developing their own, like, teen languages, as well as, like, the jargony nonsense that is MySpace speech. Yeah. 
So yeah, all this makes total sense. Yeah, even just um, and again, it's Jennifer. Even just speech. being the in... other characters don't talk to her this way. It's just Jennifer. Exactly. Because she's she's on this like she's on this other level than <laughs> everyone else in school. Because that's who Jennifer Check exactly. is, and that's who Jennifer Check is in every school in America. Yep. She is on this untouchable level, and she can kind of say what she wants because who the fuck's gonna question her? And you don't her? know what extra salty means, but you know you want Jennifer Check to call you extra salty. Yeah, that's the power of it. You're like, well, I don't have a native understanding of what you're saying, but I know that the way you're saying it makes me want you to do it again to me. Yeah, so, just figure out the context clues and be like, I think it's a good that's thing. That's it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that's it. It's Regina George punched me in the face and it was awesome. Like, yes. that's the power of these people. You're Regina George, you're Megan, Fo- you're Megan Fox, Megan Fox, yes, and Jennifer Check. It's like the, just, it's the alpha male it's, it's yes, thing, of course. Yeah, yeah. So she Har- is the lioness. <laughs> she absolutely so is. I have a question for you, and that's just looking at this brand of womanhood and comparing it to, I guess, your brand of womanhood. What are what are some of your takeaways about the womanhood in Jennifer's body? I know we've been all over the place and we've kind of touched on everything, which I love because it makes it interesting to listen to. It's the natural flow of conversation. <laughs> but my my question, since we're we're started winding down a little bit, is what is you know, what What do you take away from the womanhood of Jennifer's body, either from Jennifer or Needy or anyone else? Building off of what you were kind of saying earlier is that, uh, and this is one thing I've really loved about, like, listening to you on this is that you have put so much more thought into this than I have, obviously, because I watched this movie for the first time fully yeah, two days ago. Great, great. But I love that both Needy and Jennifer exist within their... their I like that they exist independent of each other to an extent. And the fact that uh, queer stories in general are usually either paint them to be, uh, since this is loosely a romance, they're so necessary for each other. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of issues where you write teen romances where the framing says, oh, you're supposed to believe them together because we want you to. They have like no common interests. They have no, you know, uh, they're very different people, but you're just supposed to believe that they get along. And this doesn't do that. They both have their own ideas of who they are, what they want. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, they're very different people and they go their own separate ways about it. And that's just a big part of growing up. I've had to do that plenty of times in my life. I have almost no people I've known for more than like five years at this point because they cycle in and out. (laughs) And I really like what this thing has to say about friendship and the positives of it as well as the negatives and what you can do about it in those circumstances mm-hmm. and that is one of my favorite takeaways about this movie as well and I, I think part of that like the idea of them having their own identities and I think there's a very important small moment in this movie where when you know Johnny's a little jealous of the time he doesn't get to chips a little jealous of the time he doesn't get to spend with his girlfriend which is totally legit and it's not toxic masculinity yeah. it's just it's the best friend versus the the boyfriend conversation and that's gonna be exactly that's always gonna be a toughie so, but, like, he's, you know, they're about ready to go to the low shoulder show, and she's about to leave him, and he's like, you guys don't even have anything in common. And she's like, we have tons of stuff in common. And he's like, no, you really don't. And she holds up her little necklace. She goes, like, yeah, we do. We're Biffs. And the friendship about the friendship is a very real thing. Like, there are some yes. of the closest, like, most intertwined friendships I've, I've had in my life are with, you know, when I was a girl with other girls, now that I am an adult with other women, who wear... 
even if like we didn't listen to the same music, we weren't l watching the same movies, like those things are fun. But sometimes you just have those people where they mean something to you on an emotional and bone deep level where you're just like, no, we're connected and we're going to mm -hmm. stay connected. And you provide a something for me, a compliment or a contrast that is necessary for me in this point in my life to sort of like feel like I have the whole picture of what I want. And, you know, the idea of the of an odd couple friendship like that, I, I, as somebody who, who, you know, tends to be a, a horse of a different color in a situation, I really uh -huh. like that. And I really like, too, that this movie allows for, like I touched on earlier, the shades of friendship that can involve physical intimacy that don't necessarily mean that person's your romantic partner, but it just means there is a spectrum of intimacy that you can work in within your friendships that is just whatever mutually agreed upon rules you have with those unique relationships in your life to where they don't need to suddenly break into a new classification and be like, well, I don't know what to call us. I don't know what we are. It's like, we're friends. And we just have our friendship that works for the, for the way we are and how we are. And I like for there to be a model that that can be something that can be flexible and gray if that's your thing. And I like too that this movie, as much as it is so good at defining, like giving us the tropes that are women defined, particularly Jennifer within the context of a patriarchal society that shapes our snap assumptions about them. I love what I, a thing I love about this movie, which is a thing I love again, I'll mention Suspiria about the new Suspiria is that the only thing that really matters to these girls is how they feel about each other. Yeah. Like, and not because they they're sacrificing in, in like a heavenly creatures kind of way. They're sacrificing any other relationship in their life to maintain and protect this one thing that they can't exist without. And they're jealous if the other one is spending time with anyone besides this intimate dynamic. I like that the measure of sort of their stability in the moment is like they're, this is their, the main central love story of Jennifer's body is needy and Jennifer, even while Chip and Needy is a great little cute relationship and something you can root for and seemingly pretty healthy. I like that this movie says that your friendship can be your sort of one true pairing at a time. Your friendship can be your big, your great love. It can be your, your romance in the moment. And I like that it validates that there are, that there are shades and layers to that, that if you're just sort of open-minded enough to say, yeah, that's cool. It can open up, it can broaden a field of sort of depth of relationship that you can have that you maybe previously didn't know you were allowed to because nobody ever modeled it for you. And that to me is is what those are my favorite things about this movie and that's why I constantly feel so enlivened by it and why I will just continue to beat the drum for it because that is as exceptional of an example now as it was in 2009 it's not like we get all you know like tragedy girls is a movie that I think does that like you know they're they're both little devils in that but the the friendship love story in that movie I feel is something that sort of resonates for me in a way that pings that Jennifer's body frequency that I rarely, rarely see. So that, that, that love story aspect of it is just the thing that will, that will make my like eyes turn to hearts every time I see it. Ah, uh, and see, there you go. I was right when I said, <laughs> the thing I'm going to try to say, you're going to say much better and much smarter than what I'm going to come up with. But yes, that is where I'm at with this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a good note. I think it's a good note. Exactly. Especially like this kind of whole thing sets up that your significant other, quote unquote, like, you can have more than one yeah. significant other, and you can feel that kind of intense feelings for your friend, even if you don't necessarily gel. Yeah. My um, my best friend in school, his name was... Uh, we were friends, like, ride or die, from, like, fourth grade to graduation. Yeah, yeah. 
we have not talked since like graduation mm-hmm. because we just drifted apart because eventually we just you know developed more into people and developed our own interests and our own totally. things and that's sort of similar to this but also the opposite because we just ended up not murdering each other right, but yeah. we had a more a gradual growing apart rather than like a sudden three-month period where suddenly one of us turned into a monster and we had to murder each other right and that that dynamic was not less significant because you guys just because you guys weren't dating from fourth grade to graduation no that yeah, was especially that was a season of your life a formative relationship and if that and, and if, if if it was the way you felt about it if it felt true to you that could be a totally valid love story in your life yeah like i would say that like i loved that our friendship and eventually he got bored and said like why do we even have we, we don't even have things in common what do we yeah. do anymore and i was like okay <laughs> so i guess we're we're fine on that well on that note harmony jordan has brought jennifer's body here and they're asking you to the prom is it a yes a no <laughs> or a maybe and are you gonna write anything on the note <laughs> so it is a yes, Woo! because for one thing, if I said anything other than yes, I think like Jordan would book a plane and then come over here and start yelling at me. I'm but coming to the that is to lecture you. Exactly. That aside, it would have been a yes anyway. However, I refuse to go to a prom that it has a through the trees theme. <laughs> I will go Good. like sit in. I will go sit in the hallway like I did at the single winter formal I went to <laughs> and just talk with the kids who smoke a lot of cigarettes about how lame this is yeah. as they play the same One Republic song for the fifth time. Which is also a quintessential teen experience. Exactly. And then afterwards we'll go and murder that band. I hope, I hope that song was apologized. Yes, it was that one. It's too it late. played so many times. So yeah, afterwards, after we have a bad time at prom, that will not be the fault of this movie, we'll go murder the band and it'll be fine. Oh, great. I'm in. I love this. (laughs) Also, in case you're curious, that band is a real band. Wait, Low Shoulder or what? I looked it up. Low Shoulder is a real band. Wow. Eclipsed by the fake band, I'd have to say. I would imagine so. (laughs) They've gone by two other names (laughs) since they formed in 2009. Wow. And from what I can tell, all of their songs exist exclusively as independent releases on, like, SoundCloud. (laughs) Get your hustle Just incredible. Get your hustle Incredible. Which I really love because there's knowing that, it makes the commentary about um, them saying, like, oh, hey, uh, it's hard to make it as an indie band these days unless you end up on a stupid soundtrack. It's so much funnier now. (laughs) (laughs) So if those out there have enjoyed hearing all of these incredible discussions about Jennifer's body, uh, you don't have to let this be the last of it because Jordan... You are teaching about Jennifer's body. I am. Give people the details. Uh, it is, I I will be pre-recording a seminar via the Coolidge Theater, which is located uh, just outside of Boston. And in lieu of in-person programming, they've been doing virtual seminars every so often with uh, film critics and writers about, you know, classics and, in my opinion, new classics like Jennifer's Body. Mm-hmm. And so I will be uh, recording that lecture and that will be, once you register for it, you will have access to the lecture. And then on October 8th at, I believe it is 8 p.m. Eastern time, that is when the live like discussion Q&A part happens. So people watch the movie on their own, 
they attend, they view the seminar when they would like, and then we come together for a live, and what I, I want to do a conversation, like, I want to talk to people, I want to know what they think about Jennifer's body, like, I'm obviously going to, I have done a lot of talking about it, and I'm going to do a lot more talking about it, so I, I you know, I hope people sign <laughs> up for this, and if they want to participate, then um, we can, I can get to hear even more perspectives about Jennifer's body and horror, and that's what this is all about, and it's peeling back the layers and seeing where each of us fit into these stories, and, you know, one of the great things about, one of the great, the great and troublesome things about queer horror is how much headcanoning we have to do to find ourselves in it, but that means we mm-hmm. get to do a lot of great intellectual and imagination work that um, more boring movie fans don't take the time for. So, let's all do that together with me for Jennifer's Body and the Coolidge Theater. Coolidge.org Absolutely. I mean, I already bought my ticket, Thank so you. I will be there. <laughs> yes! <laughs> And Jordan, where can people find you online? What other projects are you working yeah. on? Anything you'd like to share? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jorker, J-O-R-C-R-U. And I have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Cruciola. Uh, and I got, a, I got a couple podcasts that I do. I do a disaster movie podcast called Disaster Girls with my friend and co-host Amanda Smith. And then right now I am in the middle of a mini-series podcast called A Simple Podcast that is 100% devoted to examining every aspect of the 2018 Paul Feig movie, A Simple Favor. So come stand with us. Paul Feig uh, has endorsed, is a fan, and has recorded an episode with us that will be coming to you soon. So get in on A Simple Podcast. Fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> you can find this show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can find me at BJ Colangelo. Harmony, where can people find you? You can find me also on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor. There's some underscores in there, but hopefully you'll know them by now. <laughs> and it'll probably be posted wherever this ends up. Yeah, that's also true. And as always, we want to thank the Sonderbombs for providing us with the awesome title track, title it's aptly named find them on spotify bandcamp anywhere that you get your music and my friends until next time at Home Depot? Got you, <laughs> This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.members. Please visit podpeople.members.